last week, I began a new series that I'm calling God, Covenants, and You. And I want to pick up where we left off. I finished last weekend talking about Genesis 15 and demonstrated what a covenant looked like. We're going to actually go back there in just a few minutes. And I want us to turn to my text. It's Galatians 3. Today, this is my text. Verse 13 through 18, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We had a curse over us. Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham, now we're finding out why he took these curses upon himself that were supposed to be hanging over us. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, to understand what those promises are, you have to go to Genesis 12. Most of you are familiar with it. If you haven't read it, go back and read those first few verses. But I'm going to continue. Brethren, Paul says, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. See covenant here? Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Once you sign on the dotted line, you're obligated. You can't say, wait, there's a proviso that I want to add or there's a caveat or there's an addendum. No, that's it. You've already signed. And so you can't add to it. You can't decide, oh, I want to redline that and then scratch through it. Can't do that either. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. See that by God in Christ? Who was in Christ? By Say it with me. God in Christ. Which is, that's very important. Don't you ever let anybody rob you of your conviction that Jesus was more than a man. Amen. It said that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. It's referring to the covenant that God made with Abraham. I want to speak today from the subject face-to-face part two, or (laughs) if I can kind of say it this way, when I get done, you might think there are five gospels in the Bible instead of four. So I kind of won't talk about, because the word gospel means good news. I won't talk about the gospel according to Abraham. My subject is face-to-face part two. Father, I want to thank you because of what you've done for us. I want to thank you for your amazing love that you gave your only begotten son, that we could be forgiven, that we could be accepted a part of your family, that you covenanted with us to make that possible. And I pray that somehow you will help me hide behind the cross and use the next few minutes to reveal this important message all the way back in the book of Genesis And the plans that you had from the very beginning, you loved us that much that you started out 
reaching for us long before we ever came here. And I'm so grateful in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Steve, if you will come out. Uh, Last Sunday, I had Andrew come up here and he helped me illustrate uh, the, what it means to be like in covenant. There are some incredible and very important things in this passage that I need to explain. So let's say that whenever Abraham heard God speak to him and say, divide the parts of these animals and put some on this side and some on that side, let's, let's imagine what that looked like. There would have been blood all over the place here. You couldn't, you couldn't do what we're about to do without getting bloody in the process and, and the blood getting on you. But here's the situation. They were back to back when they started in covenant. And there were all kinds of covenant. And there were covenants that were relational. There were covenants that people made in the Bible. These were the contracts that were binding that existed in that day. I spoke about that last week. And here's the problem. Most people feel like this is how things are between them and God. God's looking out in this direction and he's not looking at you. And people struggle with that. They know that because they're imperfect, they're flawed, they're human beings. They know good and well that God sees what nobody else can see. And they think that that means that God judges them on the basis of that and holds that against them. And so they struggle and get on this legalistic treadmill to try to do better. And you don't know if you're saved from one day to the next. Somebody gives an altar call and you feel like you need to go. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about here? I want to see a few hands. Come on. If you know what, yeah, hands going up all over the place. I said it last week. I never heard a word about eternal security when I was growing up. I heard a lot about eternal insecurity. I mean, God will judge you. You're not going to make the rapture, all all of this. And you can grow up. You can live your Christian life and be saved, but doubt it from day to day. And many people experience that even in their family. And so I'm pulling one way and Steve is pulling another. And so many husbands and wives are like that, pulling in opposite directions. They're not in covenant. Oh, they sign the wedding documents. And they said, I do, but they haven't. Do you understand what I mean? You see, God is vitally interested in the covenants we make. Friendships are the same way. If I can say this, don't let Facebook define for you what a friend is supposed to be in your life. Amen. A brother loves at all times. Everybody say all times. And when you're in covenant, you have covenant brothers. There are people I am in covenant with. The staff, I'm in covenant with these guys. People like Steve, these are my, my covenant brothers. Irvin, Tony, all, all the others, Michael, James, we could go on and on. And, and all of the, 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 the people here that are a part of our team, they're not just here to work here. In fact, you know what I, I, I very often pastors and speakers have said that come here? They said, we marvel that you have staff that have been able to stay so long in one place. Because many times staff doesn't stay. They go. Uh, the longest, the, the average staff person stays is something like four years. And yet we've had staff here that have been here for many years. You know why? We're in covenant. 
where this is not just a, a place to stop until you get a better place to go. I don't know if you understand what that means. Can I hear somebody say amen? People come here and they devote themselves to the work of this place and the vision of the house. And so I find it happening all the time that that people are pulling against each other. And when you get in covenant, it's amazing what happens. Watch this. Steve and I are going to walk through the parts of the, the, let's pretend these are animals and watch what happens. Go ahead, Steve. And so you come this way and, and you make a circle back around the opposite direction and kind of a figure eight. And you're supposed to do that two times. And watch what happens when we come back now from this second time. We come, no, it's, that, that was two. Amen. Okay. One is followed by two. Yeah. <laughs> now I can do that because we're covenant. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Notice what happened. We started out back to back. Now we're face to face. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Just leave these here. I'll use them again during the message. That illustrates what covenant does. Amen. And so many people live their entire Christian life thinking that God is against them. And they don't realize that God loves you with passion. The Song of Solomon tells us that God is captivated by us. He loves us with a love that is pure and unrelenting. And he can't even take his eyes off of us. Isn't that amazing? Amen. When you understand covenant, it changes your relationship with God because you look at God a different way from that time forward. You won't even look at church membership or church attendance the same way anymore. If you're not in covenant, well, okay, I think I'm going to go to church this Sunday. I haven't been for the last five or six, and, uh, but I, I, I'm a member, so I'm going to show up. No, when you're in covenant, you understand we're moving toward the same vision and that you have a role to play in helping us fulfill that. And so we are your brothers and sisters. And family is also a God-ordained covenant. You see, many children are pulling against parents and parents against kids. And when you realize that your family is a covenant and that you are covenant partners, then you understand your parents are more than just your parents or your kids are more than just your kids. They are covenant partners with you. And you have to involve your children in your ministry and your service And in the kingdom of God, you have to impart into them the values that you live by as a result of that covenant. You say, well, I'm not serving anywhere. That's why you ought to be. Because you need to someday be able to connect your kids to a cause that's bigger than they're going to get working at shale oil. Amen. Hear what I'm saying. In our text, Paul talked about Jesus having to be crucified and go to the cross. Why? He was cursed upon that tree. That was the cross. He said that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. The burning question is, why? Why did he have to go to the cross? Why did Jesus have to be cursed before we could be blessed and have a relationship with God? Why him? He was sinless. We were the ones who broke the covenant. Every one of us. 
He looked around and said, is there any that does good? And he said, no, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And the term used there could literally mean bandages discarded from a wound. Think about that for just a moment. Ugly bandages that you wouldn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole that they put in that red box that has the skull and crossbones on it. When you go to see your doctor, that's where they put syringes and bandages. That's stuff you don't want to touch. That's the best we had to offer. Our stuff was in the red box. But he was sinless and pure. You will find today that the answers to these questions are actually revealed in God's covenant with Abraham. But first, we're going to look at a few verses and, 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 and we'll get to Genesis 15 in a moment. So we'll talk about Abraham's story. It begins in Genesis 11 when he's with his father, Terah, and Ur of the Chaldees. The story of Abraham is considered to be one of the most significant and important in the Bible. Literally, the story of Abraham is the key to opening up and understanding the four gospels of the New Testament and the messages from that time forward to the other books the Bible contains. In Genesis 12, God blessed Abraham and made a covenant with him that is the foundation of everything that happened in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We see the terms and promises of this covenant slowly revealed. I want to emphasize that word, slowly. They're being unwrapped slowly in the Bible and are revealed over a lengthy period of time from Genesis 12 to 15 to 17 to Genesis 22. We see the different terms of the covenants. Be revealed, And I want you to notice this. God did not reveal them to Abram, as he was called then, all at once. And that's significant. When God spoke to Abram in Genesis 12, he called him to leave his own country and his father's house. Abraham was 75 years old. God visited with Abraham in Genesis 15. That's where this covenant is revealed. And Abram enters into this covenant, uh, being uh, Betarim or something. I hope I'm saying it right. That's my best effort at it. And God visited him in that covenant, revealed more of himself to him. Abraham was now 85. So he starts at the age of 75. He's now 85 in Genesis 16. Ishmael was born to Abraham and Hagar. Abraham was now 86. In Genesis 17, when Abram was 99, God changed his name to Abraham. Also revealed that he and all of the males in his house had to be circumcised, which Abraham did the very same day. He obeyed immediately. We read in Genesis 18, now we're in 18, from 17 to chapter 18, that when Abraham was still 99 years old, God appeared to him in the plains of Mamre, And told him that Isaac, the child of promise, would be born the following year. The name Isaac means laughter. Isaac was named laughter because Sarah, who was in the tent and heard God speak that to Abraham, started laughing. And she was 89 years old, all shriveled up, 89. And she said, Yitzhak, 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 laughing. And that's how the Hebrew says the name Isaac. 
And God said, that's his name right there. Amen. You laughed, I'm naming him Yitzhak. That was Hebrew for Isaac. And he was born the following year in Genesis 21. Abraham was now 100 and Sarah was now 90. And then some years later, God called Abraham and said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, and offer him for a burnt offering on the mountain that I will reveal to you. That was Mount Moriah. Some scholars say that Isaac was 33 years of age when God spoke that word to Abraham. That would make Abraham now 133. And so does any of this remind you of anything? Do you remember another only begotten son that you've read about that was offered at the age of 33 on the very same mountain, the mountain of Moriah? Are you beginning to see what God is doing early in the word of God? You might say, only begotten son, didn't he have Ishmael? Yeah, that was because when God gave Abraham the promise, Abraham was old and God didn't do what he said he would do right away. Sometimes when God gives you a word, what you need to do is wait and pray that word and don't give up, keep believing. Because he tried to fix it himself and produced Ishmael as a result of that. And so I think of the old song, my hope is built on nothing less. Then Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground. I want somebody to say all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Ishmael was man's efforts to fulfill the promise of God. You can't do what God needs you to do by yourself. You hear me? When God gives you a promise, you got to trust and believe God will take care of it. So I want you to look at the timeline. I'm going to go through this quickly. I don't want to take too much time. Abram was 70 years old when he was in Ur of the Chaldees, but then God calls him out when he was 70 or 75 years of age, he enters into Brit Bin Habetarim with Abraham or the covenant of the parts in Genesis 15. Abraham is now 85. What I want you to see is you can move from one chapter to the next and a lot can happen and years can go by. Ishmael is born when Abram is 86 and Genesis 17 and 18 Abraham is now no longer 86, he's now 99. And it it might be time for somebody in this building to flip to a new chapter in their life, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody that needs a new chapter, a new page to be turned. Let me hear somebody say amen. And then God changes his name when Abram is 99. When Abraham is 100, Isaac is born in Genesis 21. And 33 years later in Genesis 22. Now you see, 33 years have passed. In just one chapter, God tells Abraham to offer Isaac as his sacrifice. I love this. I love this whole story. I love it because there was a reason Sarah laughed. She knew her man was old. And she was old. Can I get real with you? 
Sarah's thinking, just last week I put on my best negligee and sashayed into the room. And Abraham said, get out of the way, Ma. You're blocking the widescreen. I'm trying to watch the game. She knew there wasn't much happening in that department. And God has to do some of the things that need to be done. Never rule out the God component in your life. There is a God who can do the impossible. The other thing I love about this is that God seldom shows us the whole picture when he first speaks with us. We want him to, but he doesn't. And when you walk with God, you sometimes have to walk through this door before the next door opens. And you and I are the same way. We want God to open all 15 doors so we can see all the way down into the future before we venture out and take the first step. Amen. But you've got to follow God. And when Abraham went out not knowing where he went, that's what that means. He looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. God said, come. And Abraham said, okay. And he took a step through the first door. And it wasn't until later that God opened the second. And maybe years later, God opens the third. But Abraham kept on believing and walking. And if you do, you're going to get to where you're supposed to be. I'm talking to somebody in this house right now. You've got promises hanging over your life. Faith is a journey. And if you have to know the final step and exactly how everything will turn out before you're willing to take the first one, I want to tell you, your life is not going to change for the better. You're going to be stuck for a long, long time. Look at somebody and say, take the step. Would you do that? Oh, Lord, I feel the Holy Spirit in this room right now. Take the step. God, oh, my God, there's an anointing on that. Take the step. God's talking to somebody in this building. Take the step. You might not have faith to do anything, but just take that first step. But when you take it, it's okay. God will grow your faith to be able to make the next one and so on. And the sacrifices are familiar. I spoke about them last week. He was to bring a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old ram, three-year-old female goat, and divide them along the backbone into pieces and put part here and part here. Now, Abraham knew what that meant. I mean, immediately he knew what it meant. God is going to enter into covenant with me, with me. And he's thinking this mighty, awesome God, Elohim, is going to enter into a covenant with somebody like me. And that, the wonder of it must have stunned Abraham. And I, I think that it's important that we notice that even after he cut the pieces, he still had to wait again. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And while he's waiting, vultures started swooping down trying to steal the sacrifice. Is there anybody in this house that while you've been waiting for God to show up, the vultures have tried to steal the sacrifice away? Am I talking to anybody? The vultures have tried to steal your family, your ministry. They've tried to steal your future and your destiny. Abraham had to fight the vultures away. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. He had to fight to keep the vultures away from the sacrifice. 
Anytime you start following God and you begin to make sacrifices for God, vultures are coming. Don't you believe they aren't? They're going to be there. And it became extremely dark and Abraham went to sleep. God immobilized Abraham, placed him over on the side. And the word for sleep here can actually be translated as a trance. He was seen into the spirit realm because that's the only way Abraham could be able to see what was about to happen. It was so incredible and awe-inspiring. This wasn't going to be an ordinary covenant. God was getting ready to do something that shakes all of the future. Abraham saw into the spirit realm and God showed up and he showed up as a smoking furnace. Now, I, I want to explain some terms because remember that back in that day, they didn't have some of the sophisticated technology that we have. They had to explain things when they told the stories and relate them to things that people understood that existed in the time. Jesus was a master at that. That's why he told parables. He told stories that people could relate to in their their day that at that time was the modern day. It might be seem to be a little antiquated now, but watch this. A smoking furnace represented the fire of God's presence surrounded by his glory. This is the same fire that appeared later to Moses. It's the same fire that later appeared not only in the burning bush, but on Mount Sinai. It's the same smoke that descended over the tabernacle. It's the same fire that was a pillar of fire by night. It's the same smoke that when Isaiah saw it, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. It's the same smoke that came upon the temple of Solomon. He could not even minister and the priest could not. And Abraham at the same moment was looking at the brightest light he had ever seen. If he lived today, he would say, I was looking at something like a laser, the most intense laser you ever saw. And not only that, he would probably say it was something like a nuclear explosion. Its intensity and brightness was so incredible. But the best vocabulary he had was I saw a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. And the, all of this represents the holiness of God and his purity. And what God did next stuns me. When I first saw this, I was, I was just praying about all of this. I didn't read it, didn't pull up anything on YouTube. And it just all of, and later I went and I, I did all the research I could and I found out there's no new thing under the sun. I thought I had found a revelation. Amen. Turns out they've been saying all of this for years. But as that burning lamp or, or burning, uh, yeah, burning lamp and smoke, smoking furnace went through the covenant. I want you to see this. God is doing this. Now, does anybody notice anything that's different from when Steve was up here or Andrew last week? I'm by myself. Abraham is lying over there on the ground. God is passing through the parts. And this moved me profoundly. What does it mean that God is in the middle of parts of flesh? That's what happened when Christ came. He was God, Emmanuel, with us. God in human flesh. Divinity and humanity divinely fused together. 
Second Corinthians 5 and 19 says to wit, God was in Christ reconciling us unto himself. Colossians 2 and 9, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. He came as flesh, but there was God in the parts of flesh. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? When Jesus showed up, he was not just man. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But when he was walking through as that smoking furnace and burning lamp, he was in in essence telling Abraham, Abraham, I'm entering into covenant with you. But if I ever break my covenant, let me be broken. Let me be cut up like these animals. Let me be destroyed. Let me lose my immutability. Let me lose my omniscience. Let me lose my omnipotence. Let me be crushed if I ever break the covenant. But I also want you to notice what was just said a moment ago. And somebody shouted it out. God was walking through alone. You see, Abraham was over here asleep and in a trance. And God's saying, that's all right, Abraham. Actually, Abram at the time, I've got this. You lie right there. I'm going to take your role. I'm going to walk through the first time by myself. And when I do the first time, I'm going to turn around. And I'm going to also walk through for you, Abraham. I'm going through this for you. I'm taking your place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If I ever fail, let me be crushed. But if you ever fail, you're going to be crushed. But listen to this, Abraham. By walking through twice, I'm taking your penalty for failure upon myself. I want you to hear what what God did. I want you to see this. He was saying, lay right there, Abraham. You don't have to walk through. You see, I want to tell you something about me, Abraham. I'm faithful and will never stop being faithful. But your humanity and try as you might, you can't live up to everything that's going to be required of you. So that's all right, Abraham. Lie there in your trance and watch me because I care so much about you. I'm going to take the penalty upon myself. I'm not going to end up being cut up and broken because I failed because I can't fail. It's not in my nature, but I will be broken for you. I will be crushed for you. I will be crushed for your descendants. I will give my life for you. I will be stripped of everything that I've got. I will be broken for you. I am willing to pay the price for you. And he didn't fail. Isaiah 53 verse 5 through 6 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Then it says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all but because he was in covenant with us he took it upon himself to bear our sin this if I can say this is kind of like the gospel isn't it according to Abraham amen I know there's four gospels in the Bible 
But I find this story so compelling. Darkness came down another day. Anybody remember when that day was? Luke 23 and 44 says it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And that's when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. He paid the price for us. That's God's grace and God's love. So I want to say to every one of you that have struggled feeling unworthy and not deserving and like God loves everybody but you. He knew in advance what you would be made of. He knew what you would do. And you know what he did? He said, I'm walking through the covenant for you. I'm going through the pieces for you. I'm going to love you to the very end. And God came in the form of humanity. He came in parts of flesh. But we see, and those of you who think that God doesn't care and you wonder about your salvation and because you wonder you can't make a firm commitment to God and you're just like, well, what good does it do? I tried all that stuff and you know, I went to church for years every Sunday and didn't seem to be my thing. Oh, yeah, it is. If you look at it from the perspective of covenant, the law could not save you. Rules and regulations could not. And maybe the reason you were coming is because you felt like you had to deserve the goodness of God. But now you can come to the house of God because I just want to express my love for him. And I want to come and worship him with the rest of believers. And yeah, and some of us on the whole issue of giving and tithing, well, I really, I, yeah, I, I can't afford to give. But once you found out what he gave to you, and it's not you that's responsible for taking care of your family. Because when you're in covenant, your covenant brother says, if anything happens to you, I got your family covered like David did. Saul's son, Jonathan, he entered into covenant. And when Jonathan was killed, David took Mephibosheth into his house. His own house, his palace. He said, here, Mephibosheth, you with all of your weaknesses, your broken legs that never grew back right, you come sit under my table and let my table of grace cover your brokenness. When you understand covenant, you don't look at him the same way anymore. You can live face to face with him. I want our prayer counselors to come and I want you to stand. I think of the old song in the cross or near the cross. Lord, don't ever let me stray very far. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. I heard a story years ago, supposed to be a true story, 
I didn't see it. I don't know. Just heard about it. It was in a rural community. Houston is the fourth largest city in the U.S. And some argue and say it's actually the third largest. So when you go for election time, we got a ton of judges that get voted in. But in rural communities, sometimes there's only one. And this judge's son committed a felony crime. And he came before his own father. And his father, instead of recusing himself, asked the prosecuting attorney to present the case. Sounds odd to us because we have so many judges here, but maybe in a rural context, it makes sense. And the boy came before his dad. And the dad, after being found guilty, meted out the harshest penalty to him that he could mete out for what he had done. And the son was crestfallen. So he couldn't hardly believe that dad would do that. But then the dad did something that was unusual. He stood up and took off his robes, laid him on the chair, walked from around behind the bench and went and stood in front of the bench and said, I will pay the penalty for this young man in his place. And that's what your father did for you. Every head is bowed. I want to see the hands of those here today. You lift your hands and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I need to give my heart to God. God bless you. God bless you. Keep raising them across the building. God bless you. God bless you. Back. God bless you. Now I want to see some other hands. I want to see the hands of those that would lift their hands and say, Pastor, I want off this religious treadmill. I want to know him face to face instead of him worrying or me worrying about whether he loves me or not. Raise your hand right where you are. Hands are going, don't be afraid. That's all right. You'd be surprised at how many believers feel that way. I heard a story years ago, and you know, I believe it's true. A young pastor was in a car driving with three other pastors to a conference. And one of them was an old minister who had been in ministry many years. And the old minister asked the other three, he said, what's the hardest thing to teach people when they get saved? And one of them popped up and said, well, it's to change their habits. And somebody else said, it's to give faithfully. Somebody else said, go to church. And they batted that around back and forth with different things they thought as young pastors were the things that were difficult to teach a new believer. And the old pastor smiled and said, boys, you're wrong. He said, you know what the hardest thing to teach a new believer is? That God loves him. Oh, how he loves us. 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 Oh, how God loves me. 
God loves you. Give God some praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And when you understand this and you start living in covenant, you don't doubt your healing anymore. When you're walking through a dark time, you don't doubt it. You know why Jesus went to sleep in the bottom of the boat? He was in covenant with the Father. There could be a storm raging, but he knew he was coming through. He was on assignment. Nothing could happen to him until he finished that assignment.